Theology of the Body Institute, this is the Ask Christopher West Podcast. Hi, podcast listeners. Well, happy Advent to everybody. Yeah. We are cranking our way through. <laughs> By the time this episode airs, I think we have only less than a week till Christmas. That's right. So you have lit the fourth candle. <laughs> My word. <laughs> it really does go by quickly, doesn't it? Thanksgiving it does. and Christmas and Advent, they all just kind of blur. <laughs> it does, but there's a lot that goes on in those that blur. Maybe that's why. Maybe because Maybe it's so active. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, one of the things that happened in your Advent and impacted my advent was your pilgrimage to Mexico. Fresh home from visiting Our Lady of the Hills, of the mountains, of the snows, of Guadalupe. <laughs> That's a quote from Nacho Libre. <laughs> <laughs> All Nacho Libre fans unite. There are three <laughs> kinds of Catholics I have learned. Those who love Nacho Libre, that would be yours truly. Those who've never heard of Nacho Libre, that would be the vast majority. <laughs> and those who have no understanding whatsoever why some people like Nacho Libre. <laughs> Which is a Jack Black movie that we find funny. It's not only funny, though. It's it's full of mystical nectar <laughs> if one is willing to dig for it. It is there. And, and, if, and if you don't believe me, you can get my free ebook. T.O.B. at the movies, that Nacho Libre is one of about 25 movies I, I review yeah. in my free ebook. You can, well, we'll put the link to the ebook in the show notes. You can check it out. Anyway, we're not here to talk about Nacho Libre. We are here to talk about uh, my pilgrimage to Our Lady of Guadalupe before we get to, to some of your questions. Um, this was the third time the T.O.B. Institute has led a pilgrimage to Mexico City. Mm-hmm. And we had a great group. Shout out to all of you who were on that pilgrimage. I know we had many faithful podcast listeners join us. Mm -hmm. uh, I'm thinking of, of a few people in particular who really love our podcast. So shout out to you. You know who you are. Um, one of the things that really stood out for me this time was I, I made explicit what may have been just implicit in our former pilgrimages that... The very idea of a pilgrimage, it goes back to the Jewish people and their pilgrimage to the holy city, Jerusalem. Well, Mary is the new Jerusalem. Jerusalem was the holy city because it had the temple where the Lord dwelled. Uh, Mary is the new Jerusalem because her body is the holy of holies. The, her womb is the inner court where the Lord dwells. So this pilgrimage to our Lady of Guadalupe, in that image of the tilma, she's pregnant. The Lord is within her. And, and that became the frame through which we, we journeyed, uh, a journey into the womb of Mary. And this is based on the teaching of St. Louis de Montfort, that there are two ways to form an image of Christ, and that's what we're all destined to become, a true image of Christ. He says you can get a, a hunk of marble and you can hack away with it, or you can hack away at it, and if you're a skilled artist, you'll have a pretty decent image, but just one slip of the hammer, and you'll have a blemish. He says, if we want to make a perfect image of Christ, we 
a better way to do that is to get a perfect mold. And if you pour the molten bronze into the perfect mold, you'll have a perfect image of Christ. And then he draws the analogy that Mary's womb is the perfect mold of Christ. This is where Christ was formed, where he was molded. If we pour ourselves into the womb of Mary and we don't resist the operation, Louis de Montfort says, we become eventually perfect images of Christ. That's the entire uh, true devotion to the Blessed Mother through Louis de Montfort's method sum, summed up. And that's what John Paul II embraced as Pope. That's where we get totus tuus. That's where he got totus tuus as his motto, his papal motto. I am totally yours, Maria. And here we can recognize we are followers of Christ, not only up the, the hill of Calvary, uh, not only through his death and resurrection, we are followers of Christ from the first moment of his conception. This is Jesus saying to Nicodemus, you have to be regenerated by water and the Spirit to enter the kingdom. And St. Paul says we are, we are children not of the slave woman, we are children of the freeborn woman. Uh, the freeborn woman is our mother. Well, that mother who's freeborn is Mary. That's where we're regenerated. That's where we be, where we become other Christs. That's where we, that's where the entire Christian life begins, in the womb of Mary. So that was our pilgrimage, and it was such a joy for me to see the pilgrims really making that journey. Uh, pilgrim after pilgrim shared that uh, they they really found themselves being reborn in Mary's womb. Mary, for many of them, had been kind of an, an idea, a theological abstraction maybe, maybe a blue plaster statue in the church, but she became alive for, for the pilgrims, and that was, that was the greatest thrill to me of, of the pilgrimage. Mm. I believe it. That, yeah. that plus a few delicious Mexican oh, yeah. meals. The Mexican <laughs> meals, you can't... Can't argue with that. Yeah. Mexican meals are are very special. <laughs> do you have any updates on the work of the Institute for us? I do. We have some courses coming up. Check the link below in the show notes. We have maybe a few spots left for the Mary course. It's my favorite course to teach. It's a live course I'm teaching January 2nd to the 7th. Check out the link. Uh, we have a course coming up the first week of February called Sexual Integration and Redemption. That is going to be taught by uh, the team from Desert Stream Ministries, dear friends of ours. Uh, check that one out. Uh, you, that, if you, especially if you, if you have already kind of dipped your toe into theology of the body and, and, and found, wow, I have these wounds in my life that I have to address in order to live this out. That's what this course is all about. Um, check out the link on that. We're also, because there's such a demand for this Mary course, we're also going to be offering it online, I believe, at the end of, the, of January, and you can check out the link in the show notes to learn more about that as well. If you can't come join us here in Pennsylvania, consider taking the Mary course online. I'm actually taking the Mary course in Pennsylvania, so I'm excited about that. And I'm excited to have you. So Thank you've you. taken TLB1, TLB2. That's it. And that's it. And this is it's my third course. It's your third course. Mm -hmm. Praise God. I can't wait to have you, love. Thank you. Shall we go to a question? Yes. This is a question from a patron. Her name is Susie. Hello, Susie. Thank you so much for being a patron. So grateful to you for your ongoing support. Susie says, 
I live in Oxford, Michigan, where the recent high school shooting took place. Mercy. Oxford High School is my son's school. Mercy. And he was at school the day of the shooting. Thankfully, he is safe, but he's struggling to understand how someone could do this awful thing. He mourns the loss of his friends and any chance that he and his classmates had ever had of having a normal, fun high school experience. I'm just grasping at anything I might be able to offer him and our whole community as we grieve and suffer the fallout from this grave evil that has befallen us. I guess I'm also looking for help in carrying this heavy cross and wondering what you would say to the aching and broken body of Christ here, Mm. which is suffering unimaginable pain. What these kids have witnessed is very dark. I know it's a situation where there are no words, but do you have any words for us as we begin to seek healing? As a Catholic, I know well how to offer my suffering to the Lord for reparation of this horrific sin, but not everyone in my family does, and certainly not everyone in our community does. Is my offering enough? I keep thinking of the story you told of the dear woman who suffered through miscarriages and likened her flow of blood and tears each month to the blood and water which gushed forth from the heart of Jesus. I pray for divine mercy every day as we mourn with big tears the blood that was shed from these innocent children. Wow. Wow. Susie, I can tell just from the way you worded your question that you are taking this as an opportunity to unite your heart, your tears, the very blood of the victims to the offering of Christ. And I I know of no other possible consolation that I can offer in in the midst of such a, a bitter, brutal, agonizing suffering. I, I just want to reverence what you're going through first and foremost. Um, what can we what can we do? What can we say other than to reverence that agony? So I, I just want to take a moment maybe of, of silence. Maybe have I don't know that we've ever done this on a podcast to take a moment of silence. Mm. But I'd like to take a moment of silence just to reverence the the depth of that agonizing suffering. Mm. I'm led to share this with you, Susie. I've been reading a book lately uh, about sexual healing, and it's a great book by a dear friend of mine, Dr. Bob Schutz, called Be Restored. I would recommend it to anyone, uh, but I'd recommend it with, with a certain caution because he, he takes you into some of the wounds of people who've been really traumatized by sexual abuse. He's not overly graphic or any such thing, but even in not being graphic, you, you, you come away, at least I did in reading this book, you come away with a, just a new sense of awareness of how much human beings suffer. So this is kind of raw for me right now, because I, I've been reading this book in the last week, and I found it an opportunity to understand more deeply what Christ bore on the cross. Mm. 
And so the suffering that you, Susie, are going through, that your son is going through, that your community is going through, this becomes an opportunity to understand at a deeper level what Christ bore on the cross and the depths of the hell that he descended into. Every encounter with evil becomes a new opportunity to realize what Christ has done, what victory he has won, and the means through which he won it was not to erase it, but to absorb it. Only a human heart that is one with a divine heart can endure that, can absorb that. But we, could, we can really say that the absorbing of evil is what killed Jesus. He absorbed all evil. Hmm. And in absorbing it, it's as if he turned it inside out. He, he like reached down to the very entrails of evil, if you will, to, to, to pull it up, to take it out of hell and reverse it to turn it into glory. With profound reverence for the depths of that suffering, I will hold out to you, Susie, that the depth of that suffering is the inverse, if you will, of the heights of the glory that the Lord promises you. If we suffer with him, we will also live with him. St. Paul says. Elsewhere, Paul says, we carry in our bodies the death of the Lord so that the life of the Lord might also be manifested in our bodies. I don't know of any other hope. It's, it's the only hope we have. I mean, here you are confronted face to face with the brutal reality of the unleashing of hell, with the brutal reality of evil. I mean, what what can I say? I if it if it was if it happened to me, if I was in your situation, I don't know what I don't know. I, I, words fail, and I'm so glad, Susie. You you kind of got me off the hook by recognizing in the very question you asked, you recognize that words fail us. So here I am, kind of going on with words. But again, my inclination is just to shut up and and grieve with you, to to be silent in the mm. suffering with you. That's got to be our first disposition for those who, to, towards those who suffer, a willingness to suffer with. Wendy, maybe, maybe you could lead us, unless you have anything you want to share first, maybe you could lead us in a, in a prayer, just expressing a, a willingness to suffer with here, with all that Susie's going through. Mm. I'm thinking of that scene in the Gospels, which is, a real scene from history. It's not just in the Gospels. It happened on this earth. When Jesus came to the tomb of Lazarus, and Lazarus's sisters were so grieved at his death. And one sister was angry. Jesus, why didn't you prevent this? So I feel like we can we can enter into that story in a very particular way in this um, 
time with this school shooting that um, Jesus can bear that kind of question. Mm. Someone who knew him personally confronted him face to face and said, why didn't you prevent this? And he wept with her. Mm. And I, I just draw comfort from that knowledge of his incredible closeness to this life that involves many things, but one of which is deep suffering and at times suffering that seems impossible to bear. Um, I, I hope that just entering into that scene um, with the Lord will be a consolation to you, Susie, and maybe to other members of your family, those you feel that would benefit from that. Um, just that image of him weeping uh, and grieving, both for his friend who had died and for his sisters and the sense of the community grieving there at the tomb. Yeah, we're um, not messing around here with 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 this with evil. I mean, this is such a concrete yeah. demonstration of evil. And when we say Christ came to save us from from sin, from evil, again, it's not just some religious idea. Like we need to be saved. Mm. This earth is is replete with with horrors and sufferings and evils. And we cannot save ourselves from them. Uh, no, no law on the books is going to, in itself, transform the human heart. And there aren't enough jails that we can build to to lock everybody up to keep us safe from evil. Uh, not that we can't do some things to to minimize evil. We can and we should. But I think this above all, points to, if we let it, points to the truth that we need a Savior. And thank God we have one. And he comes, I was going to say, building on what you said there, Wendy, that what consolation that Jesus is crying with us, weeping with us, but, but it's even more profound. He's not just weeping with us. When we weep, we are weeping the tears of Christ. He is weeping in us. Uh, we are weeping in him. We really have become one in the flesh with Jesus through baptism and Eucharist, through the whole spousal mystery that the church is the bride of Christ. We have become one with him to the extent that we, as St. Augustine says, we are not only Christians, we are other Christs. We are Christs. Uh, Christ in us, we in him. This unity is so profound that we can truly say, Susie, the tears you are crying are Jesus's tears. Mm. Yes. And Jesus's tears are, are the tears you are experiencing. Jesus cries your tears, you cry Jesus's tears. Your tears and Jesus's tears are one because you are Jesus, in this suffering, you are Jesus. Christ in you, you in Christ. It's that real. Mm. Mm. Lord, we lift up this community, this, this family, and this community in Oxford, Michigan, um, and all the reaches of this tragedy. Um, and in, we also lift up the young man who did this evil act 
these evil acts. Lord, that cry for mercy is so deep because you desire that no one be lost. Mm. You desire that, Lord. Lord, that none of the children who have witnessed this tragedy would be lost, but that they would experience your saving grace in their lives and understand in a whole new way the importance of not giving in to evil, of living a life that matters for the good. John Paul II, we ask for your intercession for this community. You, in your life, suffered much violence in your own community in Poland. So certainly you also can relate to this tragic story. We ask for your prayers that there would be a deepening understanding of the incredible gift of life, the importance of knowing you and loving you and trusting our whole lives to you, Lord. Lord, I ask you to, to give everyone in that community the grace to open up their, their anger, uh, their rage, their desire for revenge, their, their, their great unbearable sorrow in all of this. We, we ask, Lord, that they would have the grace to open that up and pour it out in you and on you whatever emotions they're experiencing, that they would be able to enter into that cry of abandonment that you yourself, Lord, entered into on the cross. My God, my God, why, 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 why have you abandoned us? There's something sacred, so sacred in entering courageously into that cry of the heart in union with Jesus, and we come to discover a profound paradox if Jesus is one with us in our cry of abandonment by, by God, that, cr that cry where we feel abandoned by God, if Jesus is one with us and if Jesus is God, then in the very cry of feeling abandoned by God, the paradox is we're not abandoned by God because God is with us in the cry. The cry of my heart for you, Susie, is that you will not fear to enter that cry with Jesus. That is how redemption comes. And you asked, is it enough for you to enter into that? For you to enter into that cry, Susie, Christ has promised it will bear abundant fruit, a hundredfold. Be not afraid. Be not afraid. Uh, we are, in as much as we're able to be, we are with you in that cry of your heart, Susie. And I want to thank you for, for kind of a wake-up call, Susie. I, I read of that tragedy when it happened, and I kind of went on with my day. Forgive me, Susie, for just going on with my day. We see these headlines all the time, uh, and they, we can become numb to the real tragedy of it. We can forget these are real people, our brothers and sisters, Thank you, Susie, for, for bringing it home to me and shaking me out of my own kind of nonchalant moving on with my day. I, I ask you, Lord, to, to give us hearts that are ready and willing and open to the suffering of our brothers and sisters, that they would know they're not alone. We ask this in your name, Jesus. Amen. Our next question is from a listener named Belen. Hello, Belin. 
Thank you both for your podcast. I listen to you from Spain. I'm a 23-year-old woman who has always been Catholic. However, I've grown up with the belief that I have to respect other religions. In fact, my faith has been strengthened by sharing it with my best friend who's evangelical. We have so much in common. How can we be sure that Catholicism is the right interpretation of Christ's life? Believing that Catholicism is the, quote, ultimate religion makes me feel uncomfortable. I don't like feeling somehow superior. What if we got it all wrong? Berlin, I love your question. Thank you for asking it. It reminds me of something my mentor and professor, the late and great Lorenzo Albacete, said to me in class uh, over 25 years ago. He said, we all must be willing to entertain the perhaps. And so this is what I'm going to put out to you. Perhaps Jesus Christ didn't establish the Catholic faith. Perhaps the Pope is not the successor of Peter. Perhaps the Catholic Church is not promised to be guided into the fullness of truth by the Holy Spirit. So we have to be willing to entertain that. Perhaps it's not true, but perhaps it is, and we have to be willing to entertain that as well. If we are not willing to entertain the perhaps, as my mentor and professor said to me years ago, then we're clinging to an ideology, and in a way we're afraid of the truth, right? If it is true that the Catholic Church teaches the fullness of the message of Jesus Christ, and if it is true that the fullness of the message of Jesus Christ is God's message, because Jesus Christ is the second person of the Trinity. Uh, if that's true, then it is not arrogance, nor should it lead us to a sense of superiority in sharing that with others, in proclaiming that to the world. It can lead us to a sense of superiority, but that's our own pride, right? If it leads us to a sense of superiority, that's not because we're living the faith, but because we're not living the faith. Because part of the truth that the Catholic Church proclaims in proclaiming the fullness of the message of Christ is the call to be humble, is the call to receive the truth as a pure gift. Now, if we receive the truth as a pure gift, and that's exactly what it is, it's nothing we've earned uh, it's nothing we have any claim of right to that makes us superior. Uh, those who, who have the truth and then use it in some superior sense or raise themselves above others, uh, this leads to something Christ uh, directly and very forthrightly condemned in the gospel, a kind of self-righteous superiority. Christ is very forthright in condemning that. But if we receive the fullness of the truth, if indeed the Catholic Church proclaims it, right? we got to entertain the perhaps. Perhaps it does, perhaps it doesn't. But if the Catholic Church really does proclaim the fullness of the truth, and if we receive it as the gift that it is, 
then we are led by love, not by self-righteousness, not by superiority, but we are led by a humble love to want to share it with others and to want to invite others into its fullness. We've kind of been tricked, if you will, or fooled by a modern sensitivity that is understandable. We, we have this idea that absolute truth leads to tyranny, right? Any truth claim that this is the truth, not just a truth or your truth, but the truth, we, we have this fear, it's understandable, that that leads to tyranny, uh, that, that others will impose it, right, upon us. However, relativism, you have your truth and I have my truth, actually leads to tyranny. And, and let me try to demonstrate my point. First, let me rewind and, and demonstrate that if there is the truth, the truth cannot be imposed on anyone, right? Because the truth is love, and love cannot be imposed. Love can only be proposed, right? And so the great analogy of the Scripture, the story from beginning to end is that God wants to marry us, that our destiny is an eternal marriage celebration. But if heaven, if our destiny is a wedding, it's not going to be a shotgun wedding. It's not going to be imposed on anyone because the ultimate defining truth, the truth, is love, and love is never an imposition. If people take truth and impose it, then they've already fallen out of the truth because it's not being done in love. It's actually relativism that leads of necessity. So what I'm trying to demonstrate is that truth does not, a claim to the truth does not of necessity lead to tyranny. But relativism of necessity leads to tyranny. How so? If in the end there is no objective truth to which we are all answerable, in other words, we're all on the same level, looking up to the truth, which is love, if that is not true, if your truth is as good as my truth and truth is relative, then all you have in the end to, to settle disputes is not objectivity, not objective truth, which is love. All you have is might making right. In other words, if it's a contest between what you think is the truth and what I think is the truth, we all have to live in society. We all have to find ways of cooperating. We all have to find ways of living together. And the, the truth that will hold sway which is not the truth, but is rather someone's opinion of the truth, the truth that will hold sway will be the truth, and I'm saying the in quotes here, will be the truth of the people who have the most military muscle, the most media influence, the most money to put out to the world through their own propaganda a vision of what they believe to be is true. That is the tyranny of relativism right? It becomes, in and of itself, by necessity, relativism, your truth, my truth, nobody has a truth. Well, 
Those with the most military muscle, those with the most money, those with the most media influence will impose on the rest of us their view of the truth. And we can see this playing out on a global scale today with the whole uh, the whole gender ideology, which is really the erasing of gender. That is an ideology that is not based on any objectivity, but is someone's and a great number of people's opinion about what is true, and they are using their media muscle, they are using their governmental influence to impose this on the rest of us. That is where relativism leads. So I want to affirm your sensitivity in not wanting to impose truth on anyone. That is a proper sensitivity. As John Paul II said in many ways, in on many occasions, we never impose the truth, we only propose the truth. But the thought that claiming there is an objective truth leads itself to tyranny is false, because the objective truth we claim is the truth of love, and love never imposes itself. Exactly the opposite is true. Relativism leads to tyranny, because in the end, might will make right. Now, a doctoral dissertation could be written on all that I just unfolded there very briefly, but I, I encourage you to really press in to that, uh, to, to, to arrive, to see if what, what I'm saying actually resonates in your own heart. Perhaps what I'm saying is not true, but perhaps what I'm saying is. You talked about this in um, your first book, Good News About Sex and Marriage. I did, didn't I? And it's interesting because um, that book flowed out of uh, working with engaged couples who wanted to get married in a Catholic church. Many of them um, maybe was a mixed couple. So one of the members of the couple wasn't Catholic or maybe the Catholic one wasn't a practicing or well-educated Catholic. So this type of question, why does the Catholic Church have anything to say about anything? Or what yeah. is the Catholic Church? Or what is the authority? Or why, you know, would come up in marriage preparation? Yes, repeatedly. Yeah. And so that is the opening chapter of Good News About Sex and Marriage, which I would recommend to this, um, to Belen. It's actually the, the second chapter. Oh, second chapter. Second Sorry. chapter. Yeah, second I think chapter. it's called who says, like, uh -huh. who is the Catholic, that's the title of the chapter, who says, who's the Catholic Church to tell me anything? Right. Well, if the Catholic Church is just a bunch of human beings uh, who have no real authority to say anything about anything, then don't listen to the Catholic Church. Mm -hmm. But if the Catholic Church was established by God himself uh, to teach the truth to the human race that has gone astray, well, then we should want to listen. Mm -hmm. uh, perhaps that is what the Catholic Church is. Perhaps it's not. We have to press in. We have to go on our own journey mm -hmm. to discover not our own truth, but to discover what the truth really is. Yeah, and I think Belen is um, just, it's so wonderful at 23 years old, you've, you've been given the gift through your family of this faith, and part of the process of really growing in faith is going from 
this is just my normal to why and yes. do I hold this to that's myself? Right. And so that's a very beautiful step to take in life at 23 or whenever the Lord allows that to come into your life. But Belen, I just encourage you that so beautiful that um, you've received this gift in your family life and that you also have this gift of friendship with others who, you know, for example, your evangelical friend who wasn't raised Catholic. So it, it opens your eyes to the ways that the Lord has continued to move and be faithful, you know, throughout all these different expressions. And yet what is there? What is there in the Catholic Church that sets it apart? And, you know, do, do I see that? I think those are all great questions. Yeah, keep going, Belin. You're you're on the journey. We all must go on to discover what is the truth. And is there such a thing as the truth? Uh, I'm going to put a link in the show notes to a video of a friend of mine, Professor Timothy Fortin. I've known him for a long, long time. And he does a great job talking about how how relativism leads to tyranny. A mm. uh, better job than I, I can do. Um, so, Belin, uh, check out that video. I think you're really going to appreciate it. And keep asking your questions. The truth is not afraid of our questions. The question is, are we afraid of the truth? It shouldn't be. We shouldn't be because the truth will set us free because the truth is love. Our next question is from an anonymous listener. Will you put together a list of good movies to watch? I thoroughly enjoy watching really good, rich movies, but do not enjoy trying to search for the good ones. <laughs> I know that feeling. Believe me, I know. Um, my list, uh, my top 25 list of good movies is probably found right in that book I was mentioning, the ebook, Theology yeah. of the Body at the Movies. Right. That would be a great place to start. You could read the reflections in that book and then watch the movies, or watch the movies and then read the reflections. <laughs> right. uh, either way, I think it'll help you get a lot out of those movies. So, Are there some other recent movies that might not be in the book oh, that yeah, you would recommend? Oh, yeah, there are. In fact, Wendy, you and I just saw one recently yeah. called Nine Days. Nine Days, yep. I was on an airplane um, coming back from Mexico, actually, just recently. And somehow, I don't know how it did it for me, but just seeing the little thumbnail on the screen uh, of not, and the title, Nine Days, it struck me. It's like, hmm, what's that? So I clicked on, I watched the trailer. I thought, oh my gosh, that seems very interesting. It's, uh, it's about a, it's in a, you know, an unreal world, obviously, of uh, someone who has died, who is now in charge of interviewing souls to see if they are going to go to earth to live. Now, we don't believe in the pre-existence of souls, obviously, so this is not a theologically correct movie, but it is a very thought-provoking movie. And mm -hmm. when I watched it, I've had this experience maybe three or four times in my life where I've seen a movie once and I thought, I know it's good, and I know I have to watch it again to get more out of it. Mm -hmm. So I've seen it twice now. I showed it to you, Wendy. And I want to watch it a third time, a fourth time, because it's just layered, layered with stuff. Yeah. And and watch some of the interviews of the the actors and the director 
and the writer. Uh, that'll give you some more insight into the movie Nine Days as well. But uh, maybe I, I don't think I wrote here some of our favorites, Wendy. That yeah. I don't think I wrote about in that book, The Crucible with mm-hmm. Daniel Day Lewis. Yes, that was one of those. Yeah. Three or four movies that we've seen where we thought, oh my gosh, there's so much here. Yeah, that's a powerful one. There's so much. You got to watch it two or three times to just begin to to get how amazing it is. Yeah. Uh, that's been a lifelong favorite. Um, Wild Mountain Time. Wild Mountain Time. Yes. Uh, we've shared this one with some friends who, who didn't really get it. <laughs> and it made us think, huh, maybe that's one of those movies that isn't for everybody. <laughs> But uh, we love it. You've yeah. seen it how many times now? Probably five times. Five times. I've seen it three times. Yeah. It's a great love story. It's really insightful about the human condition. Mm-hmm. Uh, Wild Mountain Time came out maybe a year and a half ago. That's definitely worth a watch, and that's not on my list. But check out my ebook. That'll mm-hmm. give you 25. And we just added three more Nine Days, Wild Mountain Time, and The Crucible. Yes. Enjoy. Enjoy. <laughs> Yeah, good movies. Some of the greatest moments in my life have been in uh, watching good movies. Yeah, but you do have to weed through a lot of bad movies to get to the good ones. So hopefully that'll help. Well, if you were blessed by today's podcast, we encourage you to push that share button. Mm -hmm. If you know somebody who needs to hear what we shared today, uh, that'll help expand our audience. We'd be grateful to you. We ask you to continue sending in your questions so that we can continue answering them. And if you want to have a better chance that your question will be answered, we invite you to consider becoming a patron of the Theology of the Body Institute. We cannot continue doing the work we do if there aren't people out there who believe in what we're doing who support us as patrons. So check out the link there. And until our our next episode, I'm reminded just of our first question today. Susie, we are going to be lifting you up in prayer, and not only until our next episode that came out strangely. We will continue to lift you up in prayer, Susie. Please, everyone out there listening today, lift up Susie and all of the people in Oxford, Michigan, in all that they're going through, uh, that they would know and we all would know that we are truly indispensable, irreplaceable, unrepeatable gifts of life and love. And may we all become what we are. is brought to you by the Theology of the Body Institute with music by Mike Mangione. Christopher and Wendy hope that the information provided is helpful to you, but remind you that they are not licensed counselors. If you are going through serious difficulty, a list of trusted counselors and psychologists can be found in the show notes.